All right, so we got to revisit an old subject we haven't talked about in like at least a year. Uh, if, yeah. if people remember, there we did an episode called The World's Youngest Scooby-Doo Licensee <laughs> with our friend <laughs> Josiah Hughes. Uh, and he had interviewed this guy, Nathan Masri, a few times for Exclaim Magazine. That was like tenuously how we tied it to music. But for this episode, there's no tie to music whatsoever. We're just off Not on a all. limb here. There's background but, music in his TV shows. That's yes. right. Yeah, there's, I think he listens to music. Together, there's right? choreography in his short. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you know we couldn't do this one by ourselves, so we had to get Julian from QAnon Anonymous and Raina from World Cafe to dig into the Nathan Masri oeuvre here. We are going straight into the Garf of Darkness. <laughs> oh, hang on. You know what? There is one time where he mentions music in the book. I'm not going to bring it up right now, but uh, you'll find oh, out later. Man, I can't wait. So there is a okay. music connection. Take me to the Nath field of dreams. <laughs> yeah, maybe we, we should start in the present day with, so the last time we talked about him was for the era that most people know him for, which is starting Garfield Eats, the restaurant in Toronto, mm-hmm. and then losing the Garfield rights and starting Scooby-Doo Eats, which sold frozen lasagna, <laughs> like leftover idea <laughs> from the Garfield stuff. But, but um, Scooby-Doo Eats was pitched as health food. Uh which I always thought was bizarre because I, I believe yeah. they had frozen lasagna, hot dogs, and I guess that's it. No, it was Garfuccinos. frozen lasagna. And Garfuccinos was a <laughs> Garfield Eats product that was, if you can imagine, an orange milk-based beverage that has no coffee in it and is hot and uh. sweet. <laughs> I imagine it tastes like candy corn if it was liquefied. Yeah. And warmed up. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Orange cough syrup. They would probably like that in the UK. Yeah, kind of like you should Luca's, try that over there. Lucasade or something like that. It's so funny to sell frozen food like as the Scooby Doo brand. Yeah, especially people lasagna. are gonna think it's dog food. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like, why would I? Why would I ever buy human food with a dog on it? But I mean, that <laughs> one never even saw an opening, right? I mean, at least with Garfield no. Eats, there was you know uh, service employees to abuse, and you know the whole. The whole uh, front-facing yeah. thing. Except you could yeah, walk in, eat their awful pizza. If you leave. did walk in, you had to order off the app even if you walked into the restaurant at uh, Garfield Eats. That's right. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Raina, that's how we roped you into this episode in the first <laughs> place was that you, I think, are the only person we know who actually ate Garfield Eats pizza. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what? you refused to tell us beforehand what the experience was like. So I think you should just debut that experience world premiere right now absolutely yeah just as background yeah okay so let's go to order it you have to uh download a proprietary app uh even if you're in the store you can't just tell them what you want you have to order it on an app um and first of all all the boxes that they give them to you in can be could be i guess i'll talk in the past tense because it sadly no longer exists but all the boxes for all the food could be folded into other things so, like, if you got lasagna, you could fold the box into a Kleenex box cover uh, so you could reuse them. But they'd be covered in grease, so it was, like, disgusting. Yeah. Uh, but, That's you know, so nice cool. Idea. That's what I want when I'm pulling out a Kleenex. I want I want to reach into the Kleenex box. Ooh, I got, I got some sniffles, and I want my Kleenex pre-greased. Yeah, just, like, a long <laughs> string of cheese comes out with it. And unless you have, like, a stuck nose, you, you're guaranteed you're going to get rancid grease. Not just oh, yeah. fresh grease. Yeah. Yeah. It's like smelling salts kind of, you know. So well, have you ever have you ever been sick and you get like you your nose gets all red and like yeah, I think it's from the friction, right? 
when you're blowing your nose over and over again and it hurts. Yeah. 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 If yeah. it's greased up, you won't get that friction. <laughs> well, it's like those puffs, uh. Kleenexes that have lotion on them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lotion is basically grease. Yeah. Like lotion and pizza grease are 99.9% chemically similar. You can save a lot of money that way. Just buy a pizza every couple days and uh, rub Grease it all over your Grease your Kleenexes. Okay, so they're innovating okay. is what you're saying. So there's that, which is nice. Uh, the pizza itself, and also like just Garfield didn't eat pizza in the comics. So that's a whole other thing. <laughs> he ate lasagna. Um, I, when I was a kid, I loved Garfield. I had like all of the comics, all the big like fat cat three packs. So I know Garfield. Uh, and he didn't yeah. eat pizza ever, but it was shaped like well, his head. Well, here's the thing, though. Yeah, that I was going to say. It has the ears on it like it's his head. So maybe you're just eating Garfield rather than eating what Garfield would eat. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well. It should be called eat. should be called eat Garfield. <laughs> eat Garfields. Eat Garfields. Eat Garfields. Yeah. So. Wait, so the pizza has the shape with the ears? I'm forgetting. Yeah. This yeah, that, it has yeah, the yeah, shape the of pe- his head with the ears. So it's. Impossible to make like a fresh, good version of it because you yeah. couldn't twirl exactly. it. Exactly, but <laughs> so I mean, kind of fucks I, up the pizza. Props to him for using like the trademark to its full potential, just on every single product in the store, including the shape of the food you're eating. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so you you get that, and you open the box, and it looks like Garfield's head, sort of. If Garfield's head was made of pizza, and <laughs> uh, it okay, so I guess the most like accurate comparison would be like frozen. Pizza is what it kind of tastes like, but there's mm-hmm. something different about the sauce. It was it's like a- orange, not red. <laughs> and, and it's like a vodka sauce. Yeah, it was kind of like that, except like it felt faker than that. It, I and yeah. I don't. This is. I feel weird even saying this. It wasn't exactly bad. The sauce, mm. like it was very specific. It was like its own thing. It's like Swiss chalet sauce or eating at Pizza Pizza or whatever. Where it's like it's its own flavor of thing. Those are Canadian restaurants for anyone who's listening who's not Canadian. But uh, yeah, so it like it, I, it wasn't like terrible tasting, but like the texture way off. Totally like an oven pizza. <laughs> Very expensive, also, if I recall correctly. Like I feel like <laughs> it was way more expensive than getting pizza at like a regular pizza place. Well, they had. Two locations, right? They had Toronto and then... Um, du- they had a Dubai re- one, yeah. A Dubai one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that so was probably way more the book, his dad uh, currently lives in Dubai and is like the successful businessman whom uh, Nathan is the fail son of. So clearly his dad just like set him up with a Dubai location, you know? Do we know exactly yeah. what his dad does? You know, it's tough to say. Like, He's the king. I was trying to figure out from <laughs> the book. He's just clearly some kind of businessman and like throughout the book, it's so funny how he occasionally tries to like defer on admitting how rich he is. Oh yeah. But I started writing down all the things of one. He says they have a Mercedes. Then his dad buys him an additional car when he's like 16 and they have a mm. chauffeur. They have all this stuff. And it's like, they're so fucking rich, dude. He should have sprung for lasagna at the restaurant. Honestly. I think they maybe did like, I have it. He looked into it, but he had it. He had it. Yeah, but it was it like, was a choice. Uh, of course, it was also yeah. very expensive and small, like really small. And orange. And also orange. orange. <laughs> like maybe he just put, like he wanted it to be orange because it's the color of Garfield. So he made the sauce orange, forgetting that like we're not knowing or caring that that would make it also look disgusting. Orange is the color of Garfield and Garfield is the essence of pizza. <laughs> 
One thing that struck me about his dad is that in the lead up to moving to Saudi Arabia, he just was not around for two years. Yeah. Supposedly preparing for the move. Like, what? What? Yeah, and then he gets yeah. there. And then Nathan and his family get there, and it's not ready yet. It's like, oh, we didn't have anywhere to live for a while. And it's like, well, why was he there for two years? What was he doing? That is a great question. <laughs> yeah. The whole book is so... It's a weird mishmash of obfuscating and then, like, briefly oversharing, like... The whole thing is so disjointed, as a lot of bad books are, it's disjointed and weird, sometimes to its credit, and then very often just like to humorous results, you know? Yeah. Um, it's so hard to even think of where to start with it. I mean, we could start at the very, the first line after Masri's Law number one is literally, I was born. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta start at the beginning. In the beginning. <laughs> a lot of people leave that out. And then the, yeah, the first paragraph makes true. absolutely no sense. Like he switches tenses like four times in two sentences. He also doesn't seem to understand that as a child, it's like other children aren't, you know, judging you based on your adult beliefs that you later develop. So he seems to be saying like in primary school, I had like different politics than these kids. <laughs> and so they didn't like me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So he's simultaneous. He's experiencing his adulthood and his childhood simultaneously. I mean, it feels book. like, yeah, he's living his entire life all at once, all the time. Yeah. That makes this book yes. sound way cooler than it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I had written down from the first page or two is that when his dad tells the rest of the family that they're moving to Riyadh, he, he claims that his mom immediately did the chicken dance. Yes. <laughs> you can't get away with that. Like, he's such an insanely unreliable narrator. And the yeah, whole family yeah. high fived. Is he remembering Arrested Development? I think he's remembering Arrested <laughs> Development. Or did he come up with that independently? And like, what's hard to say? What would that convey? Is that uh, like think, excitement or? Yeah, anger? that's what I was. I think it's excitement. It feels um, like it feels like a lot of uh, thing. Other things he's experienced kind of leak into his memories of childhood. Yeah. The first 20 pages are just him entering rooms where older ladies kiss his face multiple times. A lot of cuddles. Yeah, he introduces a whole bunch of family members who are never mentioned again, and he's given you all the names <laughs> of them. Like, he rattles off, like, seven people's names, and none of them ever come up again. Oh, yeah, there's also, he talks about his Uncle Eddie, uh, that he, they have, like, tickle fights all the mm. time. Oh, yeah, there's a whole mm. paragraph that about wrestling with his uncle and then tickling he puts him in his a leg uncle. lock. Yes, and then tickling his oh, feet. God. Get the tickle totem, tickle wars legends. Yeah, tickle wars legends, tickle totem. So and he seems weird. kind of pissed about it because he's like, Uncle Eddie used to basically put me in a leg lock until I was breathless because I couldn't escape, and he called it fun. <laughs> that, he claims that's what he it says. was fun. Oh god, he claims it was fun. Oh god, uh, not me though. That's not good. Like it's I don't even good. know. I mean, as the book goes on, there we can get a little deeper into that, but. Talking about his family makes me want to bring up that just like when we read um, the Tommy Lee autobiography with CJ and Derek, I wanted to put together a short quiz to see who really did the reading here. Oh, and yeah. my first question oh, no. pertains to the family that was introduced in the first chapter. Oh, God. And the question is simply, who is Allie? A, 
Is it the true epitome of self-mastery who has endured the loss of biological family, living 20 years in internal <laughs> conflict, bearing the answers of his true individuality and self-worth, which he was compelled to discover solo, becoming his own man at last, infused with self-rehabilitating thoughts, and today serving as a life coach to Nathan's soul? Or is it B... Not the true epitome of self-mastery who has endured the loss of biological <laughs> family living 20 years in internal conflict bearing the answer to this true individuality and self-worth, which is compared to Discover Solo becoming the man of the last infused self thoughts of today's nation soul. Okay, I think I know. Well, my note is he's the long-lost brother, but how can he be lost if he's visiting? Can you repeat the two <laughs> answers? He's, he's the prodigal brother. I think it's B. Is it B? I, I'm going to go with B. You know, that's a good guess. But in fact, it is A. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, again, this is someone who just like is not important to the story at all. No. And like, if you like, I don't know, it's just like writer's workshop 101. If, if you're saying that he lived 20 years in internal conflict, we're expecting to somehow get an idea of that later. It's like, nope. Nope. He also claims that when he was four looking in at his crib, he like made him all kinds of promises to take care of him. And then it's like, and uh, life didn't turn out that way. I wasn't a good older <laughs> brother at all. Oh, yeah. He says he does say that later. He's like, yeah, we did not get along even a little. <laughs> OK, this I really love this. Speaking of his family, his cousins, he lists their names and they're just fantastic. Alanis, Paris, Lee and Hillary spelled like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> And I feel like he just, like, opened a tabloid from 1997 and chose names out of it. Yes. He also just assumes that you know Paris Hilton. So when he starts to describe her, he's like, she's exactly like Paris. Or did he say she's and more beautiful than Paris? I was like, is it Paris Hilton or is it Paris or the, the city. city? Yeah, I thought he maybe was trying yeah, to go for the, the city, city, like a weird abstract metaphor. What? But he talks about the blonde. Okay, oh, maybe, you're maybe right. I'm wrong. Well, it's his <laughs> other cousin who's so got blonde strange. hair. The soft blonde hair thing. of his other cousin. Is is that like describing a city and describing a woman for him or like essentially the same problem? Like there's no <laughs> yeah. ability to kind of make you understand what he's describing with the, its description. See, that's called literature. Yeah. He has this is like yeah. a Gravity's Rainbow or something where you get lost in a description halfway through the <laughs> sentence and you're like, wait, I got to reread that. Mm -hmm. It is wild that part where he sees a guy and um, the sun's too hot and he ends up shooting him. <laughs> <laughs> He describes his cousin. Uh, he says she has a face as pale as Jane Eyre's. Yeah, completely innocent and free of peccadillos. Oh, yeah. Huh. So yeah, huh? I didn't. I think I read Jane Eyre, but like it didn't have pictures in it. She had no pimples. That's one thing that they insist on in the story. Oh, yes. okay. Was she Definitely pale? Didn't though? have any peccadillos. <laughs> I feel like sometimes they'll put. Uh, a kind of, you know, unrelated painting on the front of that book on some editions. I think he might be talking about that. Oh, he might that be talking about the, paper, the, the paperback cover. Yeah. yeah, that's a picture of her, Jane Eyre, the real person. <laughs> <laughs> there is one part in here, and I can't remember exactly where it is in this first chapter, where he, uh, everything, he's just introducing his family, blah, 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 all the movie and stuff, and he goes, he starts to talk about the shadows, the shadows for mm. me and only me. And then he just goes back yeah. to normal again. But the shadows start yeah, to pop, like, up, pop up, like, here and there. And they're never fully demons. explained. Yeah, demons, shadows, and aliens for a while, he talks about. 
<laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I had a few like clips that I screen capped about that where this is at some point in the first chapter, he's trying to like create this extended metaphor of what it's like to live in Saudi Arabia instead of Canada. I guess yeah. we should have said like he moved from Montreal to uh, Riyadh when he was like maybe 12 or 13 or so. Um, but he was like, at that particular time, the gates of hell were utterly closed, leading to no escape and the rise of the demons punctually planning and moving at a fast pace for torment. God damn. And dude. then paragraph break. And then it goes, I'd always wanted a baby brother or sister in the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It took me a while to understand that he was basically saying the portal to hell that will later open in this story was just not open. But if it were open, here is what the demons would be doing. Right. They were waiting by the door like a cat. Yeah. <laughs> Again, he just jumps all over the place in time. I do think there might be a portal to hell underneath Riyadh. Yeah, fair enough. And the House of Saad came out of it. Like, I 10% believe that. It's too hard. His assessment of Saudi Arabia is the only true thing in this novel. That's Absolutely. what I was kind of going to get to. So into, like, chapter two. So, like, maybe I would say, like, chapters two through five-ish start to, like, blur together and kind of drag. Um but it's, it's also the only part of the book where he portrays himself as like a genuinely sympathetic figure where, yeah, he's like all of, all of his assessment of Saudi Arabia and how it's like very stifling to live there is totally correct. Mm -hmm. And there's this pattern of things that sort of emerges where he starts saying things that are like, is that like latently gay on purpose? Yeah. Like, am I like mean for thinking that? And it's like, no, no, no. Then finally, eventually he talks about how he's like openly gay but he didn't reveal that till like halfway into the book and it does give you a lot of sympathy for him uh he mentions like fucking four times before he reveals that that like in saudi arabia like you would be beheaded if you uh like came out you know yeah and you're like damn he sure is bringing that up a lot and then he's finally like oh yeah i'm gay and you're like oh okay so like i have an, a, a tremendous amount of sympathy for his experience growing up there Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I think his his description of Saudi Arabia as this sort of like just sun bleached prison <laughs> for him, you know, is like I, I and and the way he describes certain aspects of their like interpretation of Islam really explains current day Nathfield posting, which is like he has synthesized a sort of esoteric version of Islam that is in opposition to what he experienced as a child in Saudi Arabia. That's just my opinion or my interpretation of it. Yeah, absolutely. Something but it's more, Garfield. But it's, but it's Garfield. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. we should go on a tangent into that since we yeah. didn't bring it up earlier. But post Scooby-Doo Eats and Garfield Eats, his new thing is a Twitter account called Nathfield that's extremely hard to follow and has its own weird, complex lore that he's never explained properly. It's uh, um, it's definitely more religious. Like he he's definitely created like I I honestly think is like a, a sort of esoteric interpretation of Islam <laughs> mixed with a bunch of other stuff. Because yeah. uh, the is Islamic Antichrist comes up a lot. Yes. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Actually, I don't really understand it. Uh, it 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 seems to come up at random times. It doesn't really apply to this cartoon that is just trying to get around the uh, lack of copyright for Garfield. <laughs> but also, you get to find out at least that he always wanted to be Garfield. And I feel like maybe Nathan could have been a happy furry, but it just never fully um, it you didn't know, happen for him. For him. Yeah. I guess the yeah, yeah the furry. Uh, the furry world isn't really developed in Saudi Arabia so no. much. 
No, but that's a huge call. It's too hot that... for the suit. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> You're sweating in there, man. It's 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 impossible. Okay, it's too so, many layers. so can uh, because I but, feel like so I ate at the restaurant and then never thought about it again for a long time. Uh, why did he lose the trademark? What happened? Do you guys know? It's pretty. It seems really unclear. I like, thought it just expired. And oh, he didn't bother to renew it, or they like canceled it. Yeah, I. I got but the it, feeling that they canceled it on him because they realized he wasn't like doing anything good for them. But yeah. I'm not 100 percent sure about that. But if you followed his Twitter, if you follow his Twitter feed, it seems like there was whether he created this conflict through uh, just like not renewing <laughs> renewing the license or whether they shut him down. There was some kind of conflict uh, right after Scooby Doo or. Yeah, right after Scooby Doo eats, there seemed to be another conflict. They maybe sent him a cease and desist order or something. It's it's hard to tell. But then this Nathfield character emerges. Yeah, like from Ju- the ashes. From the ashes of that, like Julian, you were saying, this sort of it, Nathfield is an anthropomorphic uh, mix of Nathan and and Garfield, and it's it's really it's pretty upsetting to it me. It is, at least. <laughs> yeah. And um, the account is so hard to follow because. He'll occasionally like. Oh, here's an example. Just looking at recent ones. Uh, ten-year-old girls underdressed like their moms must must both be punished. This is not feminism. This is Lucifer's perversion taken as a norm. Consider hijab or black masks like Kim Kardashian. So, so he. I can't tell whether he is posting in a voice. Uh, like, like. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, like he's he's doing some kind of weird satire that only he understands. There's another character in the Nathfield um, extended universe too, which is the Angel Gabby, who is a mm-hmm. gender yep. genderless angel, who's kind of like an avenging angel, but also like a, like a source of comfort for Nathfield in a way too. Yeah, it seems to be connected to this deodorant company he started that he claims nothing is man made, that like everything is. <laughs> God basically made the packaging and the deodorant itself and stuff. Okay, I saw this on his Instagram because uh, he's doing this dating show where he's trying. Yeah, he's not, but. Okay, well, he's not actually. But he's got like the deodorant is like the, I guess, quote unquote, sponsor of this fake dating show. But it's supposed to smell like just a person. Is what I've gathered. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a it's his version of CK one. Right. It's it's right. See the thing about. I the, think one. Oh, go ahead. One thing to know about Na- uh, Nathfield or Nathfield or whatever um, is that it's kind of spiteful towards Garfield. So it's like he's like Garfield, but not lazy. But then at the same time, a very recent pinned tweet on his on his Twitter feed is him kind of showing that he's been sleeping his whole life essentially with a stuffed Garfield, like a giant stuffed Garfield. So at this point, him and Garfield are in a tumultuous love-hate relationship. Yeah, he can't quit yeah. him, you know? He cannot is, quit Garfield. It is really funny to, like, invent a rise-and-grind Garfield. Yeah. It's a good Kind of a malevolent rise-and-grind Garfield. So one other character is Troll Pig Bill, who we've theorized <laughs> hate him. He, he might be responsible for some of the more uh, chauvinistic things that Nathfield posts because Troll Pig Bill has access to Nathfield's account, right? Yes. Yes. And Dan, you were speculating earlier that he may be some kind of alter ego of Nathfield, but I just found a post. Uh-oh. It's presented as a poll, but it's not a poll. It's just text. Oh, no. Uh, who is really tweeting on here? 
one, Nathfield alter ego, two, troll pig Bill, or three, Nathfield really. <laughs> so apparently Nathfield's alter ego is different from troll pig Bill. Okay. So, but how okay. Can you follow that? Who knows what that means? This is like reading that, the Sonichu comics, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. just so many layers and like the it bleeds into reality and like characters from real life turn into cartoons. Yeah. yeah. It, it's well just, Bill is supposed to be a hacker too, to have some sort of skill of infiltration, but also just has access to these accounts. And there's no clarity on, you know, if he has security up for the next time pig I, bill attacks. Yeah, I, the troll pig bill seems to be alternately used as a weapon against Nathfield's enemies and uh, also an antagonist towards Nathfield himself. So, and a convenient scapegoat for when Nathfield posts something uh, anti-Semitic or whatever. There's, yeah. there's also yeah, this. Yeah, we can come back to that later. Other Wait, is troll pig bill Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that he's not allowed to eat. Troll he's pig just, bill. He's the yeah. one. He's the one who is anti-Semitic. I think we're not Unclear. sure. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah. not clear. It's really, it's really hard to tell. If I was a pig man, I would not be anti-Semitic because they're less likely to eat me than a different person. Yeah, that's it right. is like a lot of myths from like pre-Aristotelian poetic time <laughs> where. Things become other things, like an animal will become a person, and then a tree, and then it'll be God, and it's just kind of everything's constantly morphing, and there's no sense of uh, there's no sense of continuity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's brought I, paganism back into Islam after exactly. so many years. I wanted. I was gonna say this at the end, but I, I might as well bring it up now. Like I was thinking about this so much before we started recording. I was like. Why is Nathan Masri immune to QAnon? You know, because he seems like a guy that is perfectly primed to just get his brain cooked by some Q adjacent yeah. shit. And I think it's because his internal cosmology is so dense and so packed and so like interesting to him that nothing else gets in. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, he's so, too yeah, self-important the, the, the QAnon for QAnon. Is, yeah, the yeah. holes that QAnon would come through just meet like a full packed full <laughs> container yeah, and they right. just kind of sluice back out yeah, yeah. also Garfield was secretly executed <laughs> what that is, was one of the drops what is this yeah. whole sort yeah. of side thing about Nick Cave that he has going on on his Twitter too he's like oh, I forgot about that talking about how <laughs> Clearly, Nick, Nathfield will be a real dark a real life dark comedy with songs by Nick Cave and then it's like he's posting pictures of Nick Cave he's saying he visited Nick Cave's uh, office uh, no, what I think what happened didn't. is he went to an expo, like a Nick Cave themed expo, and right. that anything he experiences that he either like enjoys or has a kind of revulsion to, just becomes sublimated into this imaginary inner life that he has. I think also, yes. you know, and this happens in the book. We'll get to it later, but like anytime anything happens to him, that's like like going to an expo. Like say you were going to like a meet and greet with a celebrity, and like you or I know that that person meets like. 100 people in a day to him he'd be like mm. nick cave's my new best friend i hung out with him and we know each yeah. other now like he would take it as like yeah. this is my personal friend and this only happened to me yeah everything's a collab and a startup like all his experiences <laughs> become yeah. that I, also, I think that like that's also why he wouldn't be into like QAnon style brain worms is that he already fully has like marketing guy brain worms you know yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, where we go one, we go like one, but I also contain Legion. Yeah. We, <laughs> where we go one, we go all of me. 
I do like the idea of, of uh, Nathan, like, just quietly listening to Nick Cave on his own. Yeah, me too. Thoughtfully. Me too. There's all these, <laughs> like, never heard any of it, yeah. Humanizing qualities around Nathan that just, like, as he gets out into the furthest reaches of his ma- his own, like, personal manias and delusions, he'll drop something like, yeah, you think about him sitting down and listening to like the boatman's call or something in an orange suit. And that's nice. That's nice. It to is think nice. Of. Yeah. That's th- like getting back to where we're at chronologically in the book. It's kind of like we were saying of the most sympathetic he ever is, is talking about his like teenage years in Saudi Arabia. Um, and you get the sense, like my feeling of him is that he's certainly not like a bad person. I think that if he wasn't rich, he would have turned out to be a pretty likable, normal guy. Yeah. But as his life goes on, you see that by being rich, he just like becomes like a dumb rich guy. You know, like I'll get yes. to what I mean more once we get to like him going to Hollywood and stuff. But like, it's kind of funny because like when we first talked about him and first discovered him, I'm back full circle to exactly what I thought of him on first glance. That like this is a guy who's just a fail son of a dad with too much money. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting to see the full story of like how he got there. I guess. Now speaking of music, he does also- he does get into Johnny Cash for a while. In chapter three, I think. And he starts listening to Folsom Prison Blues and compares it to living in Saudi Arabia, which was very unexpected. (laughs) It's kind of amazing. Yeah, instead of uh, around the bend, it's around the bends. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm going to move on to the next quiz question here. I know, Raina, this is one that you had uh, highlighted as well. What was Nathan's reaction when the lake called Layla in Damam unfortunately evaporated due to global warming? A, this is perhaps a grave omen of things to come. B, this may impact locals' access to potable water. Or C, oh well. C. 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 That's right. Unbelievable. I think he was trying to be like, like a chapter or something. Yeah, it's like so abrupt. But like, he was trying to be like glib on purpose i think but it just comes off so awkward yeah he's doing like slaughterhouse five so it goes yeah yeah totally (laughs) oh well oh well oops um and then what was really amazing to me is that much later in the book he's having um surgery for scoliosis and he says I began to cry. Enough tears to fill up the dry bed of Lake Layla. Nice callback. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, can we just talk about that that surgery for one second? Because this is, I think, is my favorite uh, secretly a rich guy thing that happens in the whole book. Like yeah. he's like, oh, I had scoliosis. I found out I'd have to get surgery. Uh, I could be paralyzed if it goes wrong. It depends on the skill level of the doctor. And he's like, fortunately, the Saudi royal family paid for my spinal surgery, and I went to the best hospital in the whole country, so it was <laughs> all fine. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> and he just like goes for some reason. The Saudi royal family pays for his scoliosis surgery. At a very nice hospital, but he never gets into any of it. But he does Man. indulge in the like, oh my god, I'm going to be paralyzed by a bad doctor. Maybe that has something to do with. Uh, maybe that's connected to his dad doing like the two year apartment hunt in uh, Riyadh. His mind does have that combination of like a big, empty, expensive place in Saudi Arabia, but that has American cable, and it yields <laughs> this kind of line. Uh, other than coercing people to pray, the mutawin act as the fashion police. But it's not like on Entertainment Tonight. If they don't like how you're dressed or groomed, the mutawin can make things very bad for you. <laughs> it is true. I mean, he gets to that with his love of Oprah. 
which is one of the most incredible parts of, I think, of this whole book. Is what- and Dr. Phil comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Even in his short, he's like, oh, we got we to gotta talk to Dr. Phil about this. Yeah, I do think that's like a big key to his like writing style where he's always trying to insert these like self-help kind of phrases that don't mean anything. Like it's all mm-hmm. just like meaningless pablum, but you can tell he's trying to be like an Oprah or a Dr. Phil because he sees them as like successful, like it ties into his love of like marketing and branding and stuff too, where it's like yes. Oprah is someone who yeah. branded herself so well by just saying like, emotional pablum yeah yeah he really like aspires for that like i i clipped a couple paragraphs of his letter he wrote to oprah as a teenager Uh, like the beginning and the end of it here he says dear oprah my name is nathan and i am an 18 year old who loves hot oprah yes (laughs) all right hot oprah (laughs) i know it's funny and weird for a teenage guy to be (laughs) such a big fan of oprah instead of snoop dogg oprah is no longer hot yeah Uh... Uh, he starts going on you know life has compelled me to turn towards you blah 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 and then at the end I I think this is also very revealing that he ends his letter to her this way as a teenager I believe you know that you are a person who cares and has lots to give I know you get that a lot but but I am a different case you know why because no one loves you as much as I do. I am now uh, writing a book about my tragic life that I want to introduce to the Oprah's book club. There uh, it is. Oh, yeah. Man. Okay. So <laughs> it's the road, but in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not going to compare myself to Oprah here, but I do get letters like this sometimes from uh, bands or artists who want me to play them. And it'll be like a full letter of like how they're such a big fan of the show. And then at the end, it'll be like, and also, I know that you'll appreciate my music like nobody else. And there's like a certain <laughs> kind of person who like wants to pitch you like this. And it's so creepy. That it's like is... they don't want to admit to themselves how transparently transactional they actually want to be. Mm-hmm. So they feel like they have right. to dress so it up obvious. and then put the transactional thing right at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or just code it in emotion. Like I've definitely had submissions for, uh, you know, like opening for bands uh, yeah. or opening for like uh wolf brand mm-hmm. or operators or whatever that in the exactly the same way. Yeah. And it's always like really uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Honestly, if you don't let me kind open of for you, I'm going to eat too much candy and get a tummy ache. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be That's kind fault. of better than like, I think for podcasting, it'll be like someone opening with like, Hey, fuck face. You fucking idiot. Yeah. Like too yeah. familiar. You guys are so yeah. stupid. You dumb assholes. Anyways, I love your shit. Uh, hundred percent. Or like just trying to do your bits at you. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Assumed familiarity. It's like, all right. He he has this weird thing where I think like he thinks picking the third or fourth thing that came into his brain is is like deeper or more complex than the first one. So nothing is ever <laughs> like the direct normal thing. Like in, instead of saying engage, which is marketing speak, he's going to go like enter gauge. Instead yeah. of saying startup, he'll call it try up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. but like it's a, not better. It's just the weirder third or fourth thing your brain would produce. Yeah. It's just like a right click th- thesaurus kind of thing. <laughs> right. Just a like, try right. up. And everything, yeah. enter gauge is like so lowering awkward. the bar. Yeah. Cause starting means that you started, which yeah, we don't have to start eats, a company. <laughs> At least we tried. Prepare we to can begin. keep the investment money. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we, there, there is one thing about this book that's really weird, and that is, I mean, the, the chapters start with Masri's Law, but they end with 
what is the theme of chapter whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And none of the cha- the themes actually like seem to correlate with what you've just read <laughs> at all. Uh, like this one, the theme to chapter four, after he talks about Oprah, he's like, idleness leads to boredom. Lack of vision leads to boredom. Indifference, apathy, lack of ambition all lead to boredom. While an oppressive nation may result in a depressed nation lacking the happiness and productivity. Uh, oh, shoot. I just lost <laughs> Because these screenshots are out of order, Charles. Uh, necessary to prosper. Imagination is the cure for boredom. Engage in a positive line of thought that inspires. Blah, 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 blah. He's also about, like, suppress a nation and you shall create rebels. Inspire a nation and you shall create leaders. And it's like, who are you addressing in this book? Like, who is this? Is it like a self-help book? Or are you, like, addressing world leaders with this Wait, book? Oh, no, I should have brought that up of... Um... I, it's kind of like an open question whether it's a self-help book, but I think... Oh, no, no, no. It says... Okay, so on the cover of the book, it does say at the bottom, a self-help memoir. Yeah. And guide. I think and it's guide. A, I think it's a self-help book, and the self that it's helping is Nathan's. Yes, yeah, 100%. Like, totally. like, he's just getting it all out. <laughs> Have we even talked about the title? Oh, No. <laughs> No, yeah, there's okay. There's so much on the cover. Let's let me say this other stuff about the cover before we get to the title. That it also says unedited in red letters at the top. No kidding. And then it says time yeah. to. Ble- yeah, it's just literally not edited <laughs> by a professional editor. Yes. Um, then it says time to blow up your brains and wake the fuck up. But fuck is like censored out, so it's edited right right below where it says unedited censored fuck. <laughs> but yeah, Julian, the title is. Uh, Arabioli- Arabiolosis. <laughs> I did not yeah. know this is what Arabiolosis. the cover looked like until right now. That is definitely the third or fourth thing. He's like, it can't just be, I don't know, something simple. I have to take this word and try to combine it with something else. Wait, it says Arabiolosis, and then it's reflected. It says suppression underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, this book, sense. by the way, made sense if the uh, screen caps had been put in the right order, but uh, <laughs> Charles wanted to well, fuck with us. I, I was in the right order for me if you organize by uh, date created or something. <laughs> if you organize by possessing spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Higher or lower spirit. I literally just screen capped every page. So if you organize by when the file was created, it was in the right order, but it probably got all fucked up in the zip. So sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a choose your own adventure book destroyed yeah. his masterpiece <laughs> you see a man in an orange suit what do you do have we caught have we talked about his hot cousin brian yet not really mm. but we should mm. yeah oh yeah where's that passage i got it right here uh he's talking about he's talking about like the frustration of living in in saudi arabia and he just has some really good points about like the segregation of men and women um, sort of, uh, how does he put it? Basically encouraging homosexuality. And then, yeah, yeah. and uh, then there's this passage, single gay men are everywhere. You just need to have good gaydar and it's a date. Arabs love white skin, white and fair skinned men with light hair. You will never, f- <laughs> fuck man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why it's so hard to read this. 
you will is never. His, by the way, is his cousin Brian gay, or is he just like, hey, I people don't think people so. would want to rape this guy. I don't I think, think that's he is gay. Yeah, he says he says you will never find my Canadian cousin Brian with his soft blonde hair wandering the streets of Riyadh unless he desires to get raped by the sexually suppressed predators. Saudis will seduce you wherever you are. Lebanese men are also highly favored by those in the neighboring countries who describe them as the most beautiful men of the Middle East. This is like something Winston Churchill would have written. (laughs) Yeah, it does kind of read like early British colonial uh, sort of letters home. Yeah, like Cecil Rhodes. Yeah. Talking about the characteristics of different races of men. Yeah, there's a surprising amount of that in here. I'm trying to find another one I pulled up about Lebanese people. Here we go. Yeah, like... It's good. Like it was alluded to in that passage, Dan, but then there's a much much more explicit one about his very specific racism against the Lebanese, where he's like, to understand the Lebanese, think the movie Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan, jealousy, materialism, hatred, and gossip flow among them, overwhelming you with negative energy. Wow. I think he just had an ex-boyfriend. Like I honestly do because he's talking about how beautiful they are and then how mean they are. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And actually he talks about how he went to Lebanon and like hung out there and talks about like gay culture there and stuff. So that's like a very good guess, I think. And actually, I have a clip of that, too, where he's talking about his time in Lebanon, and he's like, it also has a getaway for gay men to party, mingle, and satisfy their deepest desires. When I visited, I found the men and the women to be stunning, almost without exception, despite their pompous attitudes that oh. will get them nowhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> that will get them nowhere. That's very Trump. <laughs> yeah, yes. it, is. it is extremely Trump. Kristen Stewart, she's doing a great job, but she's very ungrateful. <laughs> there, There is kind of like a weird thing where he seems to be saying that he became gay because of the splitting of the genders. Yeah. And a really weird kind of, uh, you know, thing that he mentions, he goes... The, the boredom was inescapable with no diversion. All the new releases movies were about two years old. If you wanted anything more recent, anything more recent ones... Uh, you had to find pirated copies on the black market, usually recorded in cinemas with smuggled camcorders. The hands of the censors touched even these. While watching a pirated movie, you might notice a man getting up from the theater seat semi-nude after screwing his wife. Yes, what was that? I know that? that because I saw it in Canada. What? <laughs> what is uh, that? What does that mean? That? I wrote that down too. Yeah, yeah, and it was never touched on again. No, no. Wait, what is but it? then he goes... Sorry, yeah, keep going. Go but but the on-screen action would have adulterous content or even kissing scenes excised. When I was watching a black market version of Titanic, the scene where Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet have their moment in the car was not shown at all. It was as if this scene never existed, and the next thing you knew, the ship was sinking. How? Why? What happened? If you wanted to find out, you had to travel to the outside world and you'll know. For now, there is nowhere to go. So he's basically saying that if they hadn't screwed in that car, the Titanic wouldn't have sunk. Yeah, and there's no way to find yeah. out how it sank unless you see unless the you, Unless you leave Saudi Arabia, yeah. Did the sinking start during that part? I think it's like right before the sinking, but unrelated, definitely. Yeah. It's well, they not caused like the hole in Leo, the bottom of the boat. Yeah, Leo like kicked the, the steering wheel and it just drove out the side of the boat and sunk <laughs> it. Um. Well, so I guess maybe maybe I'll hit up another couple of quiz questions here while we're still on his teenage years. Um, when Nathan was stressed out as a teenager, why was smoking not an option? A, it clashed with his ideal man of physical fitness. B, <laughs> he never liked the smell anyway. 
or C, dr- or C, drugs were not accessible and never caught his attention. However, pills were available in his family circle. And D, all of the above. All of the above. All of the above. Of the above. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I love how he's like, yeah, there's no drugs, but everybody in my family is taking out of it. As pills. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Incredible. But, okay, so who has ever seen, let's get back to this. Who has ever seen a semi-nude man who was screwing his wife in a movie theater? Not me. <laughs> Not me. And he, it's also while watching a pirated movie, you might notice. So he, it doesn't make sense because why would you show the pirate in Canada in the theater? It doesn't. Yeah. Did, did this event? Is he saying this took place in Canada? Yeah. He says he saw it in Canada. I don't. Yeah. It's Unless, impossible to decode. Um, okay. 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 I have a theory. I have a theory. Uh, when he was living in Montreal, he, or on one of his trips back to Montreal, he decided to go to the movies. Uh, he accidentally went to Cine- uh, Cinema L'Amour on Saint Laurent and mm-hmm. uh, and watched uh, watched pornography that he thought was a, the, the, that was maybe an actual movie and saw somebody screwing in the theater. And he's like, "Oh, that must that woman must right. be that guy's wife." Be- and yes, and because he hasn't hadn't seen anything uh, because all of the sex scenes had been excised from. Uh, the films that he watched as a child in Saudi Arabia, when he walked into Cine Lamour and watched pornography, he was like, ah, uh, there it is. Like, this is what Western movies are like. Maybe he's saying that if the if the scenes are left in, then it encourages straight sex, which it's re- I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it sounds like somebody's fucking in the theater to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah, But 100%. like in, in a normal movie... Wait, so this was during Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) You don't remember that part? The part where it's it's like 3D and it's in the movie theater and like... Yeah, it's just a guy screwing his wife and then he gets up and leaves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Truly There's another part, uh, another great little passage that I highlighted was that um, Nathan's talking about how he gets along well with his grandmother... But um, her love of gossip was a negative personality trait because everyone knows the grapevine never leads to any good. Leads to grapes. Which lead to delicious wine. That was exactly my thought. I wrote down, oh, it leads to a nice glass of Sauvignon Blanc, if I do say so. Exactly. Uh, There's another great, like, uh, him admitting he's rich thing around this part somewhere in here. Where he talks about getting a Mini Cooper as a gift, and he never talks about it again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like when he's still a teenager, on top of his dad's Mercedes, and they have a chauffeur, and like, oh, there's so much stuff. When was this written? I think it was 2016 is when he actually wrote it, but then he like re-released it in 2021. Yeah. So that's why it doesn't have any of the Garfield Eats stuff in it. Oh, okay. I was also wondering because he talks about an iPhone 5G. As an example oh, yeah. of like, yeah, <laughs> we will not be taking with us the one million dollars in our HSBC bank account or our iPhone five G. But the five G is the is just the connecting technology that's hasn't it's not even really fully rolled out on the latest ones. It's no, the actual five to... G, like the one that came out in or like the fifth oh, generation. I have no memory of this. Oh dear God, what was the G for? I think generation. Uh, generation for it was for good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good. Five, Five good. good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's see, where does the book go after his teenage years? I guess then he goes back to Montreal for college, and he's glad that he can finally get away from Saudi Arabia. The, the college part's not super interesting, 
I guess what, what another thing, like after college, he goes back to Saudi Arabia and works for his dad's company. He gets him like some cushy job that he, again, he like elides any details about. Yeah. And but he, he says, talks about like, I'm making so much money or whatever, but I didn't expect to make this much. He's like, oh, oh, I, I can't stand being in Saudi Arabia. It's so horrible and so boring and so soul crushing. But I am offered a job there for a lot of money. So I go back for seven years. Yeah. Yeah. And he vaguely tries to become a marketing guy and this is when he starts this is when he starts sounding more like he does on social media and how he talks in recent years where uh one of the things i highlighted about this is in his love of branding he's like i believe we are all walking brands with our own unique story according to our individual position in society Mm. i see branding possibilities in products places and people (laughs) it's just such a grim outlook One weekend after the gym, I was waiting in line at a second cup coffee shop. Just as I was about to place my order, a Saudi man, milky dark and slightly overweight. Milky. Milky. Milky milky dark. Like chocolate (laughs) milk? Like maybe he would be black if they hadn't mixed in some milk? Milky dark. Very strange. And then he moves into italics after saying the guy barged in front of him and he writes, Hello, excuse me, I am alive. How can anyone think this is acceptable? Does he think this is obedient and mannerly conduct? At his age, what is he thinking? And it's, I guess, an example of how he had to kind of adapt his Canadian gentleness to understanding how rude Saudis are. Right, right. Yeah, 100%. There's a bunch of like little things like that. We're like, oh, the Saudis are so... It's kind of like, he's not as aggressive as he is with the Lebanese, but it's still the same (laughs) thing where he's like, all Saudis are uncreative. And Actually, I have a good clip of that over here too. Oh, nice. um, uh, from a marketing and advertising perspective, my own specialty, when did Arabs create brands consumed globally rather than buying Western brands such as Louis Vuitton, Giorgio Armani, or Nike, and visiting restaurants like McDonald's, Baskin Robbins, Chili's, Applebee's, and Le Notre? Arabs Le Notre? are not trendsetters. Baskin Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Arabs are not trendsetters. They are trend followers. But even here, they take much more time to follow up than the rest of the world. They never stand in a queue and always push themselves through aggressively, just like the other story. <laughs> well, they, Wait. they got Garfield Eats at the same time as Canada. Or no, it was That was Dubai. in Dubai, not Saudi Dubai. Saudi Dubai. Saudi Dubai. Arabia. Yeah. yeah. They get but the wait, restaurants that first. That thought is even worse than the part that I read. They never stand in a queue and always push themselves through aggressively like a crowd of starving refugees after a oh. bowl of rice. Jesus yeah, fucking Christ. Yeah, I felt that reading this whole part. Yeah, it's wild. Brutal. Okay, all right, all right. So that explains one mystery. Uh, that's why Garfield Eats had the app menu system. No lines. You just order on the app and somebody oh, calls it out. yeah. <laughs> he fixed Dude. it. What chapter are we on now? Is it like chapter six? Is this like roughly six or seven-ish? I'm Have we talked like about him kissing his too. German cousin yet? Oh, yeah, you're right. We should go back to that a little. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, I think, I think that's the previous one where it's very weird how he reveals that, but also surprisingly honest of him to yeah. admit that. Yeah, he talks about his soft hair again. We're talking about Brian here, right? I don't know if it's Brian or another cousin. It might be a different cousin. I'm not clear, yeah. He's a real cousin guy. <laughs> yeah, but it's like the way he reveals it. Oh, no, again, that, it's like, that's his cousin. But is it Brian, yeah. his cousin, or is this a new cousin? Uh, it's hard to say. I don't think he ever says. Yeah, I don't know if he's No, specifies. this is his cousin Safa. 
Oh, oh okay. So different cousins. So did he kiss two cousins? No, just the one, I think. Okay. But th- that's why it's so funny. Is like the book is structured in such a weird way where early it's like accidental foreshadowing where I think the book is just weirdly ordered. But early on, he's just like, yeah, you know, uh, people, because everyone's gender segregated in Saudi Arabia, you start to have feelings for either your cousins or people of the same sex or whatever. And it's all just like setting up that that's what happened to him, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's like one long stream of consciousness. It was actually written on one big scroll, like on the road. (laughs) Yeah. It is, I think, it's uh, proof of Branson's theory that writing a book is extremely easy. Making it good is hard. <laughs> yeah. Anyone can yeah. write a book very easily. Like this probably took him like two or three days, I bet. Well, it took him to the- however many years he's been alive. That's right. True. Right. It started with I was born. So it's still going, maybe. Maybe it'll be a part yeah, two. Yeah, day one. He was busy at work on day one of his life. Creating like God, stuff to know? write about. Yeah. I like I didn't mention this, but the th- the third line of the book is like, I can't tell you everything yet. That's the third sentence. And it's like, well, it's the third page, so I guess not. It doesn't fit on this first page. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm going to have to turn suspense. it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so then he he, uh, he starts a foundation for, like, I think this is really interesting. He's His mom gets breast cancer, which is, you know, that's bad. Um, but then he starts a cancer foundation, uh, which I've never seen a, like, cancer foundation that seems so (laughs) (laughs) self-serving. First of all, I Googled it, and I can't find any evidence of it anywhere ever existing. Hmm. But it's called the Victorious... Victorious... uh, Hang on. Victorious Women. Victorious Women, It says he raised $100,000. Yeah. I don't... I mean, maybe it was just from somebody in the Saudi royal family. Yeah. Like a surgery. Like Like one of those guys just cut him a check. Single donation. Well, the event he had was called Victorious Time. And I don't know how that's supposed to be read. Is it like Victorious Time? Like Victorious Time. Victorious Time. Victorious Time. Victorious Victorious Women Time. (laughs) Yeah. But like the best part of it is that... uh, I sought to partner with the Quebec Breast Cancer Foundation in return for a share of the proceeds, but they unfortunately declined to support the event. Well, yeah. A share of the proceeds? And he moves on to basically talking about how he was turned down again. Undeterred, I sought the support of the Canadian Breast Cancer Foundation in Toronto as well as the hospital in Montreal. I lined up globally recognized sponsors after persistent calls and follow-ups working my way up the chain to reach the people who could help me, I refuse to take no for an answer. You shouldn't have to take no for an answer if you're raising money for cancer. Exactly. But then I'm, so, Im- I'm imagining Nathan, the way he probably went about this was uh, maybe set off some alarm bells in the, uh, <laughs> the, old, the old cancer society there. Was he threatening a cancer charity? That's kind of what I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> He he moves back after that to Saudi Arabia, cajoled by my very persuasive father. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what we were getting at when he kind of like gets the job. It's it's also unclear where I think maybe he was working with his dad, but then he also says that he's working in marketing, trying to like teach Saudi businessmen how to brand themselves, but they're not receptive to his advice. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, it's probably you're not giving him very good advice, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) I, I just have to 
say just as an aside that um you know like i i think between 2003 and 2000 no 2004 the beginning of 2005 i worked on the top floor of a building on rachel and mount royal um for a company called pieglobalcom.com that was uh, like pie like uh like the uh like the math expression you know pie and that company was run by uh, the son of a Saudi businessman who essentially had been told, you need to start a business. And what it was, was tricking uh, small American businesses into paying enormous sums of money to be listed on the internet. Wow. And and uh, it was like just full on telemarketing. And I was responsible for like accounts receivable, basically. <laughs> But I never did any work, and I mostly uh, marketed uh, Wolf Parade from uh, my office with the internet connection and the door that closed. Yeah, and, that's the way to go. And like this guy, the guy that ran the company, um, clearly didn't give a shit about it, and was he had he had the entire corner office in this huge building on Rachel, and must have been paying like you know at least like ten thousand dollars a month in rent to have this place open. And all because his parents were like, you need to be a businessman, be a businessman. He was like, all right, I'm going to do bullshit telemarketing, but I'm not going to try very hard at it. Yeah. It's like, I and think I, you some like with him and Nathan Masri, and I think you see this a lot, like in the West too, of just like, if you are the son or daughter of someone who's super rich, you don't want to emulate them, but also you feel obligated to emulate them of like, I want to set out on my own path, but also... I don't know how to do anything and I'm lazy because I've been raised to be super rich. So I'm just going to like half-assedly emulate the idea of being a businessman, but doing something worthless that doesn't do anything or succeed. Like, yeah, exactly. Like my boss was all, always out of the country, never in the country. Like it was yeah. amazing. It's like a ruse. It's like playing pretend of just like, Oh, here's my play money. I'm going to be a businessman. I think if you know, he, he kind of bought into the whole startup thing where he's like, well, you know, yes, my dad is deeply involved in probably like infrastructural stuff, stuff that has been going and has a tangible effect. But if I come up with a great idea or a great word, uh, you know, in in startup culture or whatever, then actually it's like a shortcut, right? You don't yeah. have to do all the, the handshaking and the kissing ass and the getting involved with giant institutions. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And you're and you're like, yeah, yeah, you're, like taking you're a like kind of kicking kicking the door down in a weird way too. Like like you're being your own person. You're not Yeah. And I think that fits in with the the whole advice thing where he's like, I could give advice to these old people because they don't understand the new the new business culture, which was always just, you know, kind of like self-help coaching bullshit and kind of pyramid scheme stuff. Uh Based on like, yeah, yeah the, the kind of like tech and startup bubble. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 